This is our annual Thanksgiving service, Sunday before Thanksgiving, hopefully a time in which we open up intentional space to honor how both wild and precious all our lives are in this season of reflecting on our blessings. The particular way that we enter this space in gratitude, in worship this Sunday, is by way of a poem by Mary Oliver called The Summer Day. Here at the 930 service, you're going to hear three different people across the age ranges, and by the way, those of you who are in here at 930 have a wonderful gift and opportunity for you. You can choose to stay for the 11 and hear four more totally different voices across the ages, across the decades, answering this question. I'm going to read the whole poem, but I'm going to repeat the last question in it twice. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Tell me, what is it? you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Brian's going to start us out today. Hello, my name is Brian. I'm, I'm 13 in the 8th grade and really nervous. <laughs> the question that I'm answering today is, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? My answer is, I don't know. More specifically, I don't know what kind of job I'll get or where my life will take me. I do know where my life is right now. I have set some goals and I have already achieved some of them. Others, I'm still working on. Those who follow my mom on Facebook know that I'm a lead bowler and a martial artist. One of my goals is to get a perfect game in bowling. I'm steadily working my way there. Every week, I go to the lanes and work on what my coaches have shown me. So far, I've managed to get over 200 in a few games, my highest score being 220. When it comes to martial arts, I have more goals as well. One of them, getting my first degree black belt, was recently accomplished on September 29, 2013. However, when I accomplished this goal, it created another milestone for me to reach, which is trying to become a second degree black belt. While I study to reach that goal, I'm also a mentor at Makoto, which is my dojo. Every day during the week, the band comes to my house to pick me up and take me there to their after-school program. While there, I help my sensei by working with some of the junior rank students. I help with homework, with their techniques, and listen when they need to speak. I want to try and become the best mentor that I can be at Makoto. I started as, mar as a martial arts student at the age of nine. 
My pastor earned my black belt began when I attended summer camp at the martial arts studio where the Makoto program is. My sensei that summer was Mr. Murphy. He would turn out to be the person who guided me through most of my studies. Of the 11 belts that I have earned, Mr. Murphy was my teacher for 10, including my black belt. From him, I've learned that if I work hard, I can achieve my goals. It's something that I've tried to apply in the other aspects of my life. I do give some thought to what I do when I'm grown. One thing that my mom always says that I can be really good at is being an engineer. I asked her, what makes a good engineer? And she told me a few things like an inquisitive mind and attention to detail in their work. I gave it some thought and I realized I have those things. I can be very attentive to detail when I want to be. Other times, I'm just a mess like my room. <laughs> but when it comes to school projects, I'm very focused trying to get the image in my mind to become a reality. Once I worked on a castle project in elementary school. I did a lot of research and learned how to build a fortress. I learned how to measure the scale and cut the materials. I really liked the planning, but not the building. One thing that I will never be as a teacher, ever. <laughs> I really respect teachers, and I have great ones this year at my school and here at Wellspring. I just wouldn't be able to handle so many kids for so many hours. <laughs> sure, I can handle a class full of students at Lakota, which is around 16 to 22 kids for about an hour and a half, but not eight hours every day. <laughs> the only thing that I did like was leading parts of class and helping make lesson plans for the students at Lakota. So while I don't want to be a teacher, I would someday like to be a youth spirit mentor. Since I'm only 13, I have time to figure out what I want to do with my life. I have time to experience new things that will help me make that decision. I have the support of my parents, family, friends, and everyone here at Wellsprings. So it's okay that I can't answer this question right now, but I'm sure that I'll figure it out someday. to Brian. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk about what makes my life wild and precious. Looking back at my life, I spent a lot of time trying to find a way to be good enough, to live up to the expectations that lived in my head, as well as those that came from those around me and the culture overall. As a child, I spent a lot of time with my imagination. My favorite childhood fantasy was that I would be able to cargo down the steps of the gymnastics studio I attended, much to the amazement and awe of all present. <laughs> it would have been really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be the kid that couldn't do a backbend by herself anymore. As an adolescent, I knew that I was good at English and was frequently told by adults that my way of speaking made them think that I was much older than 15 or 16. I decided that I was an intellectual, and this is intellectual with a capital I, not a lowercase <laughs> It became very important that I could prove my value to myself and others with my intelligence. In college, I studied psychology and women's studies. That's feminism 101 for those who don't know. <laughs> I gained a lot of awareness of the impact that being a woman in this culture has had upon my sense of self. 
I decided that the best way to combat this dysfunction was to frame my friends and myself as goddesses. <laughs> I continue this day from time to time to have my brothers remind me of this fact in appropriately silly voices. <laughs> In my 20s, I attended graduate school to become a psychologist. I found that everyone in my program was just as intelligent and motivated as I was. I couldn't imagine how I was supposed to be as great as a therapist as Albert Ellis or Irving Yalom. The thing that clicked for me, that changed the way that I framed myself, my relationship to others, and my place in the world was this. Contrary to what I had been taught as a Catholic, there is no original sin that has been blighting my soul from birth. Instead, from the moment of my birth, I have been and continue to be a person with inherent worth and dignity. I am enough. I don't need to be an Olympic gymnast to write complicated articles for the Republic, be an astral being, I wouldn't mind, <laughs> or write the next therapy manual to get there. I wouldn't mind that either. <laughs> to me, this means that my task in life is not to figure out how to be worthy or deserving. It's to make sure that my actions are congruent with the inherent beauty and strength within me. Conversely, when my actions may not be representing my best self, I deserve compassion, forgiveness, and curiosity for myself to understand why I made that mistake. I also feel that this means that the soul within me is pure and wise. So listening to and honoring my emotions and my intuition is important. I try to treat my thoughts and emotions with curiosity and interest rather than judgment. From this perspective, when I make the same silly mistake for the hundredth time, I try to be amused rather than angry at myself. I found as a result that my emotions feel a lot more manageable than they did at times in the past. If I'm having a sad day, I know there is a valid reason. So rather than fighting the feeling, I try to work on giving myself what I need to feel comforted. One of the commitments I've made to myself is that I will allow no negative self-talk to stand unchallenged. It can sound a little amusing in my head sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> a recent example of this occurred after my mom became annoyed with me when I forgot to call her to check on how a kitchen renovation project was going. It's, it's a really annoying kitchen renovation. <laughs> she expressed frustration that she felt that lately she had been the person doing all of the calling and checking in in our relationship. She expressed a lot of her during the conversation. And I found myself over the next two days noticing that I was sad. When I stopped to listen to my thoughts, I found that I was having thoughts telling me that I'm a bad daughter and an inconsiderate person. And as my mind likes to do, it's very good at it. Um, it helpfully provided other examples of times when I have been a bad daughter <laughs> and overall an inconsiderate person to other family members, friends, co-workers, you know, the dog, <laughs> etc. And so each time I notice these thoughts, I intentionally challenge them by reminding myself that I, I'm allowed to make mistakes, that there have been plenty of times that I have been a loving and caring daughter and person overall. And then I can make a commitment to be more mindful of my mother's needs in the future. And believe me, I've been calling her like five times a week. <laughs> I feel that this perspective has allowed me to honor the person that I am now. In the past few years, I really have learned to be quite fond of the woman that I am. 
Enthusiastic, loud, silly, loving, clumsy, and often a bit socially awkward. Yesterday, I had the privilege of attending the mindfulness workshop led by Reverend Ken. During the workshop, I learned that I had nearly scratched the surface of learning how to honor the inherent worth and dignity within me. I look forward to continuing to explore the direction that my wild and precious life can go in when I start from that point. Thank you. constant onslaught of negativity in conjunction with the hostile work environment was slowly devouring my spirit. Soon a week didn't pass when I hadn't cried silently at my desk, but I was known for being cheerful so I would usually suck it up and happily kid with my co-workers. On Mother's Day my frustration hit an all-time high and I admitted to everyone in the kitchen. It suddenly became obvious that I simply had to quit my job. There was no other rational choice. This was a monumental decision because I had been with the company for 38 years and had virtually no other work experience. But the moment I made the announcement, my sister-in-law noticed how the expression on my face completely changed. I had carried this burden for so long that I had forgotten the person I used to be. At one point, I googled signs of a nervous breakdown <laughs> and found that I was already manifesting most of those signs. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but it didn't seem funny at the time. The next day, I gave seven weeks' notice. Needless to say, my boss was shocked and immediately called the VP of Sales, who spoke with me on the phone for 45 minutes. I was very open and honest with him and explained that I needed to do this in order to restore my mental health. He agreed with my frustration and admitted that he was on antidepressants and sleeping pills because of all the stress he was dealing with. The next few weeks consisted of a roller coaster of emotions. I sent an email to most of the people I interacted with and immediately got a flurry of responses. People were surprised. I was the only original remaining employee of the company besides the president, and no one expected me to leave. I made a point not to badmouth the company to customers or coworkers. I wanted to keep my integrity intact. But I was very open with upper management about the reasons for my departure. Although I had a 401k and inheritance to sustain me for a while, I was taking a leap of faith with no future job prospects. I just knew at my core that I needed to take a few months off to regain my sanity. I dreaded the last day because I knew I would need to say goodbye to my coworkers. After hugging one of the customer service reps, I lost it and had to recover at my desk for a few minutes. I was convinced that when I drove off on that day, I would probably melt into sobs and have to pull off the road. But after I got in the car, I felt nothing but relief. It was as though the umbilical cord had been cut and I knew I would be fine. I've had no regrets about this decision. 
If anything, it has been obvious that I waited far too long to make this change. I persevered because I was afraid to walk away from seven weeks of vacation, health insurance, and a company match on my 401k. In other words, I was willing to make myself miserable simply for financial gain. I stopped crying after I left the company. When I later visited the office and told my old boss about this, he said, do you mean I would stop crying with my teddy bear if I left here? <laughs> Since then, I have a newfound courage for saying what I think and following my gut. I'm no longer willing to sell my soul for something that makes me unhappy or depleted. I now have a courage to speak up for myself, be myself, and not compromise who I am for anyone or anything. I have begun to find the person I used to be, the one I almost let myself destroy. What will I do now with my wild and precious life? I don't know yet, but I'm in the process of finding that out. What I do know is that I would love to find a company where ethics, teamwork, and employee appreciation are paramount. I need to believe in what I do and know that I'm making a difference. This is who I am and what I am not willing to sacrifice. I am convinced that if I am true to myself, the universe will open doors that I could have never imagined. So I'm standing in front of door number one to see what's inside. Thank you. I'm going to ask if you join with me in prayer. God of wildness and preciousness. The wildness, the symbol of all the paths of our lives that cannot be predicted or controlled. The wildness that always says to us, there is more to learn, there is more to develop, there is more to grow than ever we could know before we set out. And God of preciousness too of knowing that from the very beginning we already belong, and yet so many of us live a life of estrangement. May we know the preciousness of each of our hearts, the preciousness that calls us to honor that divine likeness and spark and spirit that has always been here and will always be here. And so the question for us is this question, what will we do with our one wild and precious life? First, hopefully pay attention to how wild and precious it is. Not turn on or engage the numbing out or the autopilots, but instead wake up. May we learn and listen from the wise, wild, wise, precious wisdom that is shared with us today. May we use this day deferring it no longer to claim our own inherent wildness and preciousness. When we live from here, we are as deeply in tune with the universe as we can be. And we know that the shape of our lives is growing into that belovedness that we already are. Amen.